0: Welcome, my name is Cody Zeiderveen, it's good to have you guys come out this afternoon, see some familiar faces as we were wandering around through the hallways, Uh, and it's just good to be here, and looking at something that Grady and I uh, care a lot about, creation care and Christian education, Uh, so we're excited to share a little bit about that. My own background, I am a pastor, I'm the campus pastor at Grand Valley State University on their downtown campus. Uh, and have studied quite a bit of theology, and so I'm coming into this conversation from the Bible side of things, uh, and then Grady's kind of walking in from the other side. Yeah, well, not excluding the Bible, let's be up front. Uh, so my name's Grady Zeiderbean. I work for the U.S. Forest Service. Before that, uh, I got my Ph.D. from Penn State. Um, excited to be here working with Cody on this topic, so just as a little bit of background uh, so you know, why we're here, I guess. Uh, A few years ago, we wrote an article for The Banner. Uh, Brenda Vanderplood, who kind of coordinates this conference, uh, went to our church when we were growing up. She saw it, invited us out. Since then, we've had the opportunity uh, to give another talk at Yale's Graduate uh, Conference in Ecology and Religion. We were invited out there to talk on the same topic as we share this interest um, from two very different perspectives. So, excited to be here, talk with you all. This is... Hopefully, going to be quite an interactive uh, hour. So, we'll kind of set the stage, but we really are looking for a lot of participation. So, uh, if you're about to get drowsy halfway through, we're coming back to you. So, hang uh, with us, it's coming around, uh, and we're looking forward to it. Uh, and just to clear the air about it, we are identical twins here. <laughs> sitting there with us. Uh, <clears throat> so, since the creation of the world, We have depended on plants to sustain us and to nourish our bodies. That's the way the Lord created the world, and that's the way He created us. Uh, And so as we start to build a framework of creation care, we have to look at that because when God came into the garden, the Garden of Eden, He recognized that all that He had created was beautiful and good. This was the Lord's assessment of the garden, and this was uh, what laid the foundation Work the creation of humanity. When he created humanity, it was to place them in this garden that he had created that they could make it flourish, that they could work it and take care of it, as Genesis 2 tells us. And so God creates Adam and he places him in the garden. And it's all because we know that this creation is abundant in its beauty and it is abundant in its provision. These are the two things. That the Genesis account holds together and uh, it doesn't put them in tension at all. That there's beauty and that there's provision in the same place. And the human's role is to promote both of them. And there's not too many places in the world today that still match that. If it's a beautiful space, we kind of put a fence around it and we say, you know, this space is for beauty. And then if there is a place that is fertile, we'll put a fence around it and we'll say this place is for growing food. And we'll work it year after year after year. And we create this divide that does not exist. At least in the beginning, there was a place that was for both. For beauty and for provision. And what's interesting about that is that God's assessment of the beauty and provision of the garden was the exact same as Eve's assessment one chapter later. So when we see Eve come into the garden... And come up to the tree, it says of her that she saw that it was pleasing to the eye and good for food. This is the exact same assessment that God had in chapter 2. That these plants that he created were pleasing to the eye and good for food. The assessment was the same. The action was the opposite. Because in the garden, God saw that and so he created humanity in order to make it flourish even more. To make it more beautiful. And to make it provide even more. And so we saw in God's response to those two, let's make more of it. And so he made humanity. And then we see in Eve's response just the opposite. I see something beautiful and I see something good and so I'm going to take it for myself. And we see for the first time this divide between God's desire for the garden and what we have decided to do with it. And so there in the Garden of Eden, we come to see a word that becomes quite rich in the Hebrew tradition because that word for beauty of the garden is the word Hamad. And Hamad comes through Hebrew scripture uh, to mean greed. And we see that in the Garden of Eden, something of the beauty in the world and greed come entering almost hand in hand. That when we see things that are good and beautiful, we learn instead of promoting them and causing them to flourish, we learn to take them for ourselves. Hamad. And we see that run straight through the scripture. Even in Job, he laments, they knew no quiet in their bellies, in their greed, Hamad, they let nothing escape. So, right from the start, God made that which was pleasing. And good, and right from the start, we learned to take it for ourselves to the point of transferring the meaning of that word from beauty in the garden to greed in the world in which we live. So, this is the context from which Grady and I understand stewardship. This is what it means when we're going to talk about what it is we're caring for and why it is that we're caring for it. Because we must experience God's desire for creation in its original context if we're going to experience and engage in God's desire for creation in our context. Because the two are rooted together. The two walk hand in hand. Because stewards are able to delight in what they are caring for, not because of what it can get for them, but because it is both good and beautiful. And the role of the steward is to work those both together. After all, the earth is the Lord's, the psalmist says, and everything in it. And in our world belongs to God, the contemporary testimony of the Christian Reformed Church. It says, we are appointed earthkeepers and caretakers to tend the earth, enjoy it, and love our neighbors. God uses our skills for the unfolding and well-being of his world so that creation and all who live in it may flourish so that 's what Grady and I work towards uh, yet today the flourishing of the world because at the end of the at the end of the day the world around us teaches us not only about creation but about God himself and so when we 're talking about creation we 're not just just talking about creation, even in his commentary on the book of Genesis John Calvin uh, wrote that The intention of Moses in beginning his book with the creation of the world is to render God as it were visible to us through his works. You guys can come on in and just go ahead and find a seat. Please do. A lot of room in the front row. Sorry. Welcome. So all that is to say that when we come to an understanding of creation, it helps inform us and form an understanding of God. Which also says if we have a misunderstanding of creation, we have a corresponding misunderstanding about God. The two go together. Which is why Thomas Aquinas wrote, any error about creation also leads to an error about God. For better or for worse, how we view creation, shapes the way we view God. And so too it does for our students and those that we're working with. Which is why we listen to the assessment of creation found in Genesis 2.9. That it was made to be both beautiful and to be good for food. So can you start to feel the tension? When we're talking about the one, we're talking about the other. If we're talking about the world, we're talking about the God who made it. The two go hand in hand, locked together. So today we're going to talk a little bit about our relationship with creation. And as we do, we're going to be talking about our relationship with God. The two inform each other. So St. Augustine noted hundreds of years ago, some people, in order to discover God, read books. There is a great book, he said, the very appearance of created things. Look above you, look around you, look below you, and read it. So if we read the book of creation through the lens of the Garden of Eden, we would see nearly endless things that we could talk about. But at a minimum, there's four things that we see. One, that God created all things. Two, that he created things in the world in part to allow the flourishing of humanity. Three, that he created humanity in part, at least, to allow the flourishing of the world. And the world was created to be beautiful and flourishing in its natural state. So we can see this world that's meant to be described and defined by beauty and abundance, that is both meant for provision and care, where our lives promote and expand the life of the rest of creation. So it's no wonder then that King David wrote all these psalms that talk about creation declaring the goodness of God because he was seeing God Through creation, and it was shaping his view, it pointed towards and sang the praises of an awesome, creative, generous, wise, beautiful God. Is that still what creation is saying today? So to take a look at that, we are going to look briefly at Psalm 96, Um, and I will say, you can't see the screen real well, so the juxtaposition uh, that was intended here uh, may be a little dampened. But I think you will get the picture. So let the heavens rejoice. Here is a picture of LA, and you can you can see the smog over the city. Right? And we don't need to be in LA or New York to recognize all of the pollution that comes out of vehicles we get in every day. Right? Those actions they come at a cost. Let the earth be glad. Here's a picture of mountaintop. Removal in West Virginia. And you don't need to see, you know, a mountain being removed to recognize that turning your heat up in the wintertime or down in the summertime takes energy. And for a lot of us, that's in the form of fossil fuels. And it comes at a cost. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. This is the Great Pacific garbage patch in the Pacific Ocean, twice the size of Texas. You don't have to be aware of it or swimming in it to recognize that we all have giant containers of trash taken away from our houses every week. And we say it's thrown away, but I mean, what is really away if it's not someone else's home or something else's home? Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. It's a picture of a denuded landscape out west, Uh, we call them rangelands now, which ascribe a certain value to them, right? Where we can put cattle. And you don't have to see this to recognize that if the whole world ate meat like we do in the U.S., this is what it would look like. It comes at a cost. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Here's a picture of the Tongass National Forest. I wasn't sure as a national forest, Working for the Forest Service, if I could even talk about this, I don't know, so I don't know. Uh, But as you can see, we have a constant desire to develop, and that development comes at a cost, right? In this case, it's clear-cutting in the Tongass. And as I was working on this, uh, I kept thinking of a song, right? Pave Paradise to put up a parking lot. Uh, Maybe the parking lot wasn't right here, but it certainly was somewhere else. It ends with, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. The world's not quite rejoicing, at least the world around, in the way that the Lord had intended it to. And we recognize that, Grady and I, I think most of us in this room probably recognize that. Uh, And what's interesting is really the whole world is coming to recognize that in various stages and Uh, Even in this context, these are the three leaders of the largest Christian groups. uh, Patriarch Bartholomew here, Pope Francis, uh, and then Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, And the three of them came together last month uh, in something of a remarkable statement where they all were in agreement, uh, and together they represent 1.6 billion Christians in the world. And they released this statement that covered... Three main points. And they said September is celebrated by many Christians as the season of creation, an opportunity to pray and care for God's creation, which uh, just as an aside, what a remarkable way that would be if we started our school year uh, each year with the season of creation. What a beautiful gift that would be. So accordingly, they wrote, as leaders of our churches, we call on everyone, whatever their belief or worldview, to endeavor to listen to the cry of the earth and of the people who are poor, examining their behavior and pledging meaningful sacrifices for the sake of the earth which God has given us. And then they look at the importance of sustainability. They say, by concentrating on our wealth, we find long-term assets, including the bounty of nature, nature are depleted for short-term advantage. Nature is resilient, yet delicate. We are already witnessing the consequences of our refusal to protect and preserve it, out of Genesis 2. We must pursue generosity and fairness in the ways that we live, work, and use money instead of selfish gain. Then they go on and look at the impact of people living with poverty and say the current climate crisis speaks volumes about who we are and how we view and treat God's creation. We stand before a harsh justice, biodiversity loss, environmental degradation, And climate change are the inevitable consequences of our actions since we have greedily consumed more of the Earth's resources than the planet can endure. But we also face a profound injustice. The people bearing the most catastrophic consequences of these abuses are the poorest on the planet and have been the least responsible for causing them. And then the last, they look at the imperative of cooperation together. They say, we can share a vision for life where everyone flourishes. Together we can choose to act with love, justice, and mercy. Together we can walk towards a fairer and fulfilling society with those who are most vulnerable at the center. But this involves making changes. Each of us individually must take responsibility for the way we use our resources. Caring for God's creation is a spiritual commission requiring a response of commitment. This is a critical moment. They say our children's future and the future of our common home depend on it. It's a beautiful statement, uh, and it's actually quite lengthy. That's a very condensed form of it. Uh, But what's beautiful is both the content within it, uh, but also the reality that these churches have been divided for a thousand years. And they've been divided over a whole bunch of things across those thousand years. But the one thing that brings them back together in this year is creation care. That they can differ on all of these different things, but there's one thing on which they agree, that we're here, in part, to care for creation. And these are some of the ways we can do it. And this is true of the Christian Reformed Church as well. It's not just uh, all these three major groups that have addressed this, but the Christian Reformed Church uh, has an official position on creation care. Also quite likely, uh, and here's just one paragraph from it. Just as God placed human beings in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, so the Lord calls us, the crown of His creation, to be stewards of His natural world. As a church, we affirm our commitment to work vigorously to protect and heal the creation for the glory of the Creator as we wait for the restoration of the creation to wholeness. We lament that our abuse of creation has brought lasting damage to the world we have been given, polluting streams and soil, poisoning the air, altering the climate, and damaging the earth. We commit ourselves to honor all God's creatures, to protect them from abuse and extinction, for our world belongs to God. We are therefore called to be voices for justice and public examples in the effort to live sustainably within our God given resources to promote stewardship in our communities and our nations, and we might add today, within our classrooms. So this is where, you know, we're hoping to to work with all of you to do a little brainstorming. Where do we begin? What does this look like in an education setting? How do we raise up that generation that lives sustainably within the resources that we have? So we thought it might be easiest to take a look at this by class and subject area. Um, We've got a whole array of educators here um, full of undoubtedly brilliant ideas if not I do recognize a few people we are not ashamed to call on names um, so and the front row so. <laughs> so let's start art class do we have any art teachers got it. art perfect perfect so in an art setting how can we embrace and utilize concepts of creation care and bring it back to the classroom any ideas?
1: Yeah, um I think there's one kind on of different way, but just off the top of my head I don't know for you have probably watched it for the documentary Wasteland, um, which is about one
2: of the largest um, dumps basically in the world and the artist that other ends up making work from it. So I'm not saying necessarily make these work, but I actually what was maybe the most moving for me was just it actually brought me to tears at some point or not but the sheer volume of some are just like boring, which we know cognitively, but just the visual is pretty intense. I haven't shown that in a while, but you nice Absolutely. Um, And then of course just lots of materials and sustainability and reuse and plastic,
3: and that's kind of endless. Absolutely. I think that's an idea. And it makes me
0: wonder even, what if you just dumped over your trash can in the middle of art class? Yeah, that's a great idea. turned it into a, an art experiment. Yeah. It's a great idea, although talk to the janitor first. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: As
0: former janitors. So that's right. <laughs> we recognize the challenge. Other ideas for art? Yeah,
5: go ahead. Um, I've seen uh, quite a few people lately who are starting to make um, like a living out of... Uh, doing creative things with, with plants, you know, whether it's like you're doing a like floral arrangements or uh, even like high succulents. High succulents are very popular right now. Mm-hmm. So I could see that being a cool way to incorporate and like, you know, to actually really put your hands on plants and a part of creation that um, is very natural and to create something beautiful with that and then to kind of watch it grow and change um, could be a really cool way to like get an expression of touching on what you're talking about so much about how nature is beautiful, and so kind of like using those and watching that grow and flourish would be a cool way to connect some of those ideas. Absolutely.
0: That's great. And kind of building off that nature-based education, uh, we know in preschool that's a really big thing, but before joining the Forest Service I was at Penn State and they have an environmental center, Shaver's Creek. And something they intentionally did to embrace the art community is they have eight stations around the center, um, that they continue to use year after year, and they bring musicians, they bring authors, they bring artists, all to these places, and they record whatever inspires them there. And I think that's an easy opportunity to use some place-based learning to go. This is what inspires me, whether it is you know a magnificent old-growth forest or a degraded urban landscape. There's opportunity there for incorporating it in and letting artists recognize. Beauty or devastation in that space. Any other uh, thoughts for art?
6: I have one for art. Um, I've been just looking at ways, you know, school being seasonally during a lot of winter time, and so I've been or I've seen some do art in the winter garden, where in winter time many families are you know, hibernating in their houses. they like, don't go outside. So ways that you can. There's an artist in particular, and I can't remember who it was who has done, like, an exhibit of art in the winter garden. And so showing kids, you know, pictures of what he has done and then bringing them out in the school campus and finding just art in the winter garden and creating some type of, like, walkthrough to show other classes to how there's art in the winter time, and, like, how the Lord has provided creation in beautiful ways even in a time that a lot of people don't go
0: Oh, I looked at the camera. Yeah. I, I at the right time. People <laughs> 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 are going to make <laughs> All right. Language arts or English class, depending on what grade level you're doing. Do we have any teachers from those here? English or
5: language arts? Interesting.
6: Well, I'll add another one. <laughs> Go ahead. I teach fifth grade, too, so we have language arts, but... Um, using, uh, we did um, tapping maple trees that were just outside our classroom. We had a maple right. tree right outside our uh, window, so we tapped it last year and then used that as our research project. So, researched it on the internet, but then also experienced it just outside our classroom and tying in together how the Lord provided, like through sap and through trees, something so sweet. And we had a pancake party in the end uh, where we ate our own maple <laughs> syrup. So, tying in language arts with. the whole research process and writing along with, like, experiencing the outdoors and what God created.
0: That's perfect, yeah. That is a redeeming factor of uh, late (laughs) (laughs) February.
3: Did I see your hand up, too?
7: Yeah, so I teach second grade, so it's a little bit of everything. Um, I was just going to say maybe having students write kind of like a report that they can share with others to share, hey, this is happening in the world, um, and to just kind of practice it like a news thing or even just writing how this makes them feel. Um, it's
8: just a really good connection to have and to carry with them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an other education teacher, but worked with our language arts teacher on a, one who we did a poem, and it was based on a think it's like, Where I'm From, I think was the name of the poem, but you know, as we had students that, they, they had that poem as kind of a model, and then we sat them outside, and they had to think about where they're from in relation to their connections growing up with the outdoors, what pieces of um, outdoors and the creation uh, help them develop and so hopefully making that connection to creation to Mm -hmm. care for that too. Excellent.
0: Yeah, that sounds like Wendell Berry. Mm Yeah. Yeah. some Wendell Berry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. And are you a Warner's by chance? No. Ah, But I know Warner's. You look somewhat similar. I I am influenced by Warner's. (laughs) (laughs) He's a good guy to be influenced by. Anybody
3: else?
9: We had our fourth graders research non using their nonfic- or nonfiction reading skills, and as a school we just looked at issues within, like recycling or composting, and let them kind of choose a topic, and then from there um, we picked different targets of where we were gonna focus our energies on, but they, they kind of presented their um, research on that. Like our school is exploring different areas, and for example, one even just the thought of maybe we'll add chickens for school, but then he ended up, we never had the chickens, but he ended up just convincing his family that they should raise chickens, and um, I got to eat one of the chickens <laughs> that he you know, later raised, but that real world connection to um, research and how can we solve a problem, um, and looking at our school as a whole, like you know, our recycling efforts and things like that, and so connecting um, reading and nonfiction fiction reading and presenting a solution to a problem, Sometimes
0: ideas aren't always possible, but in the process, they were passionate about what they researching. Excellent. So, and I think one ready nexus here is the relationship between inspiration in the outdoors and poetry, for example. So, I did ask Cody to come prepared. Uh, he is a pastor, but he's a poet as well, uh, and he's had the opportunity with I don't know what you call them prayer weekends, silent weekends, silent yeah, retreat retreat. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, where they just have the opportunity to go out, be silent in creation, and just listen to the Lord and pray, um, and through that you also have opportunity to let your mind wander to whatever it is. If it's poetry, which is not for me, um, but it is for some. Um, And it gives them the opportunity to think about and write about things that they wouldn't necessarily sit in in the classroom or sitting at home at the kitchen table if they're doing a homework assignment. So I did ask Cody if he would share one briefly, just so you can get a sense of, this is opportunity um, that your students could do as well. Yeah, Yeah, and I'm glad there's no English teachers in the room. Here we go. Uh, This was imagining, uh, thinking a lot about the garden in the context of what it would have been like to Adam to walk in a garden that he was called to care for, uh, personally with God, because that is the reality still for us, even though we're not in Eden, uh, that is our reality. So that's the context for uh, this poem, Arise, Dear Child. He gazed into the darkened haze, a smile climbing lines on his face. From lips to brow they underline the joy that climbed from deep within. He was weathered, I've heard some say. Like a ship captain who each day has bidden the gleaming sun rise. Steadfast, he faced the east and smiled. Arise, dear child, the world is ready. The sun and I rose together. The dark of slumber set aside to brightness, to day, to wonder. At this man who with weathered hands sat in a field filled with flowers, gently unfolding each petal with delight like a child playing, softly saying to them, to me, Arise, dear child, the world is ready. And off we went, still to the east. The grass shivered under his feet with delight at his touch. The trees, oh, the trees. Thundered their applause, his breath the cause, bursting with life, his life. He stopped me to see each quaking leaf, clapping the next as if to say, May you be praised. Arise, dear child. The world is ready. Each spot we paused. Infinite time, millions of thoughts always in mind, but attention given to one, just one as if it was all alone, entirely with him, unhurried, unworried, unscheduled, unplanned, the eternal moment with him, only with him, to work, to play, arise, dear child. The world is ready. Thanks,
3: God.
0: And I, I do think I edited one word in there, so we're kind of co-authors on that. <laughs> so, but thank you for sharing. I think that's a, a good example of, you know, people using their interests and their talents and applying it to nature-based education, whether it's, you know, exclusive or just a component. Alright, any last thoughts on English before we transition? Science. And this is obviously broad, right? You might be a chemistry teacher, you might teach environmental science, physics, biology. I think some maybe are more obvious than others, but I think there's a plethora of opportunity in all of these. So, do we have science teachers in the room? Excellent. Quite a few. Perfect. So any thoughts on this? How you're already doing it or how you might integrate creation care into your classroom? And if you could say what form of science you teach as well because I'm just curious.
7: When I taught fourth grade science we made mini landfills. Like the kids partnered up and they put their mini landfills in the shoebox with the, the dirt and, and we put all sorts of stuff in there, eggshells, and, and they just were, we, we had them in the classroom for two weeks because that's about all we can handle. And um, but they were just amazed at like what didn't break down and how long things would
1: actually take to break down. I teach middle school um, sixth grade from my classroom. Any time that we're doing um, experiments, we're working with chemicals or materials, we talk about being responsible with it and ruin it so we can use it again. You know um, the sustainability concepts. Um, you know, how we dispose of chemicals is important because we want to make sure that it doesn't get into the water table because that's where the water comes from that comes out of the drinking fountain. <laughs> and, you know, just conversations as we're, as we're noticing other things in science as well. Just the awareness of how we're disposing of things or reusing them. It's a huge thing. And then anytime we give a lesson that, that deals with recycling and all that, it just it helps. And I have them do nature journals where so they just observe the world. Um, describe it as best they can, be as descriptive as possible. They don't like it, that anything them write in them <laughs> But it's important. It is. Necessary
3: evil, as we say in the sciences. what <laughs> <laughs> least, at least <laughs> uh,
0: I teach
3: sixth grade science in a variety of sciences. Um teaching for a while, years ago I had a whole recycling unit. Um, now I don't anymore. I got switched or whatever. Um, but back then I started, um, we started recycling paper in every room and we got a paper gator and made money for the school. And, um, and now it's just the sixth grade thing. It's it just, it's kind of stuck. Even though my curriculum has changed, kids know in sixth grade, they're in charge of, they take turns, they have a schedule posted and they go around the school, collect everybody's bins and put in the paper gator. And, it's kind of their stewardship too, and then they realize, oh, this makes us money too, but it also helps that company out. So, Excellent.
0: isn't that the dream that classroom section becomes institutionalized mm-hmm. in
3: the school? Right?
7: Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I teach six through eighth science. Um, a couple things that I've done is take kids to the wastewater treatment plant. It's a free field trip. I'm in Indiana, um, but just so they can see the process. Uh, half hap- where your water goes and the amount of effort that needs to happen for it to go back into wherever it's going for us. It's the Wabash River. Um, and it just makes them think twice what do they put down the We've also, um, we're right by a Subaru plant, and so in non-COVID years I've taken my students there and we really emphasize how does this plant need to care um, the environment, because a lot of companies, you know, now have things that they have to do to follow certain guidelines, so we talk about that also from a Christian perspective of what are they doing to care, even though they're also in production or factory or
5: whatever. I teach, uh, I teach science, so we teach environmental science, and uh, the last year since January I've been uh, taking the kids on the bus. And we, uh, we go to three different sites and uh, we're in the water, Lake Mac, Mack mm-hmm. watershed. And uh, we're right at the beginning on the far eastern part. And uh, we, there's 10, 6, uh, a number of different parameters that we test for, uh, primarily to get them out, uh, to see w- what's normal, uh, but then also to uh, just collect data. And the data allows us to uh, look for differences. And uh, it, it, it's, it's like getting outside for one. Uh, because I think you need to get outside. Because it, getting outside out of the classroom, you can see God's handiwork. And, and you can see how all the heavens do declare the glory of God. And how the skies do proclaim the work of His hand. And it, it's, been, it's been really good. I, I, I enjoy it. Excellent. Thank
0: you. And I just need to give a little shout out. We had Mr. Mass back in the day. Um, and I started my undergraduate career going for chemistry because I took his chemistry class. And it turns mm-hmm. out it was his enthusiasm for science, not my love for chemistry because it didn't <laughs> last very long, but that got me there. So you do all make a big difference um, and really shape careers and in turn lives. So. Thank you for that. Any other science?
10: Um, This has nothing to do with my class, but I think anyone who is a coach can do things like that. But Science Olympiad, we have snack time. Snack time is important. And we have cups that are reusable and someone has to do dishes at the end. Like, we don't. We're not going to do plastic cups. And that's just a part of what they do. And then last year, uh, because of COVID, every meal would come with pre-packaged Civil wear with stir straws, mm-hmm. and so they realized themselves. Wait, we can use these stir straws, and so they started going around the school like snatching stir straws from their friends and collecting them. And I would just show up, and there would be piles of stir straws in the that. So mm-hmm. that I mean, if you have a small enough group of kids where you can build that culture in the group, that's not even subject related. Absolutely. You know, I like getting
5: excited about something Great, yeah,
0: I'm excited to hear that. I was a science Olympiad enthusiast back in the day, so glad to hear moving in that direction. Other things? I think similar to Mr. Mast, right, you can do something like stream monitoring for invertebrates, mm-hmm. uh, might be a low-hanging fruit, or talking about endangered species when you're talking about whether it's plants or animals. Um, I was just out, last week, actually, with an NPR reporter interested in American ginseng restoration in northern Michigan. And he asked me, one of the questions was, what is lost when a species disappears, right? That's something people think about. If it doesn't have a value for us, what's the big deal? If it's not a keystone species and the ecosystem's dependent on it, why do we care, right? And I think as Christians, we have a really obvious answer to that. Right? Because God created it to be It has intrinsic value beyond what we're using it for. So, and I think getting that in the class would be exceptional. Mm -hmm. Any last thoughts on science?
10: I'll just throw out for physics and astronomy, um, looking at the greenhouse effect, the runaway greenhouse effect on Venus as an example of um, what that looks like here on Earth and the dramatic effect that can have. It's nice to put a face with your name, too. You. Yeah, nice to meet you,
0: too. <laughs> They're actually coming up the just a little bit, so it's great. All right, Bible? Surely we have some Bible teachers in the room. If not, you're all, by extension, Bible teachers. Yeah, one's already standing up in the back. Oh,
5: yeah, Matt. We were so about. I was uh, thinking the Bible is such a big book, and you can't cover everything in Bible class. And so, simply by covering this issue, Genesis 1 and 2, and uh, saying this is important, uh, students are listening and they're hearing this as a part of the Bible, it could easily be skipped over because we have so much to cover. So, just by bringing it up, I think, is in class
0: And Matt, too, pointed out to us beforehand, he's a Bible teacher, but a tree enthusiast as well. So we need more tree enthusiasts that teach Bible. I think that's great. Thanks, Matt. Anybody else? Is there another hand that was
8: about to go up? Yes. I think bringing up Revelation 21 and 22 has been helpful for me. So not only uh, how does the story begin, but how does the story end? I've got four girls, and I sometimes just looking at the magnitude of climate change and the crises, some of, the, of which you pointed out in that um, slideshow. Which can I email you, it to, to get later? I'd love Absolutely. to see the psalm reading with that. That was great. Um, but yeah, just with, uh, with my kids and thinking, what kind of world are they are they growing up in? It can be easy to sometimes feel a bit despair. Like how do we how do we solve all these things? But um, Yeah, just going to the end of of the story, and creation made new, um, knowing that it's not ultimately our work, but the Lord's work, it's it's grace, it's Christ who's already won the most important battle and who's going to finish the work, so we're able to play a part in that, we're able to obviously have agency as, as humans, like we were always meant to be because of that grace, but I don't need to despair at my small efforts to change or yeah, take on new sort of lifestyle practices here or there as one person, because collectively we're just all doing our part, but it's, it's not up to us in the end. So, avoids apathy, I guess, on the one hand, but a hopelessness on the other, uh, maybe even more so. Absolutely, thank you. Question for
5: Yeah, go how ahead. Do you, how, do you, how do you respond to students when they when they reply
0: back, or you talk about creation, and, and they say, well, God's in
5: control, I'm not going to worry about it at all, it's just God's in control. How do you respond to students? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the
0: expert. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that on a college campus too, right? A lot of pushback against what would be uh, received truth. Uh, and I think part of it is not that ultimately we are controlling the world. Uh, that's not what we're called to do either. Uh, But there is a little part of it which God has placed us in to make flourish. Um, And I think the goal of that or the design of that is really a beautiful outcome. As as he was saying, the Bible ends in a city that looks like a garden, the New Jerusalem. And it is Eden recreated in magnitude that there is a place where no one has any need once again, and everything is beautiful, just like it was in the Garden of Eden. Uh, and all throughout, that's the case. Whenever the Lord's people are living in obedience to the Lord, there's these garden things popping up, whether it's the tabernacle that looks a lot like a garden, or the temple that's got all these garden themes, or the New Jerusalem. Uh, and so the, the work of the Lord's people is always moving towards that, uh, even if ultimately it's God that brings it to completion. Uh, so just kind of inviting along on the way. This is what we do as, as the Lord's people.
2: I was going to say that I think as Christian educators, we have the opportunity to do the Genesis story many, many times. And even to the point where sometimes my kids come home and say, we're starting in Genesis again, right? (laughs) Yes, honey, you're starting in Genesis again, but that's a good thing. So I think as Christian educators, we can, Mm -hmm. instead of just teaching the same level and the same layer of the Genesis story, this is an opportunity as we integrate creation care in really digging into the layers of the creation story and, our, and the, um, you know, the cultural mandate of the of creation story as we scaffold their learning. So when they get into the middle school, you know, 5th, 6th, 7th grade, and they're starting to get kind of mature out of the classic creation story, that they then begin to dig into the layers of what's their responsibility. And I think we have a real opportunity because that's it's one of the stories that is repeated over and over in their mm-hmm. learning, and so we have an opportunity to really dig deep into that and explore the complexity and the, um, the grace that's shown in the, and the, you know, the garden, the repeated of the garden, and things like that. So. Yes, go ahead. Um, one
3: thing I teach is about invasive species, and we spend some time learning about it and learn how they disrupt creation and study how some of them got here. And we, people had a hand in a lot of, uh, almost all of those things. Um, but then we also look at what are invasive things in our lives. And we look at Scripture, what were some invasive things even um, that infiltrated people in Scripture. And as we see that, uh, we talk about, well, God's giving you a purpose and he's placed you here in this school at this time to learn about this and he's going to use this to work in you to make a difference and kind of like yeah God is in control but he's given you a purpose um, to make a difference whether that's an invasive species or wherever your gift is he's given to you and um, it's just kind of neat to see where that's gone with kids because they write down their things invasive in their lives and take time to pray about those things and discuss those, and then, okay, what can we do in some of these real-life situations with invasive species, and discuss that, too, too. I love that.
0: I have never thought about tying invasive species in that way, but I think that is great. I, I think, too, you, you could even take it one step farther, right? Like, if, if we talk about, like, arrested succession, where this is stopping other things from developing, what in your life has stopped in your walk with God, because you have allowed right, these invasive things in uh, to take priority? That's... That's great. I'm going to go back to that. Okay. Yes? So
7: I teach preschool, so three and four year olds. So it's kind of hard to go deep with creation and caring there. But we start at the beginning of Genesis again. And we talk about how God made Adam with a job. And he put Adam in the garden because his job is to take care of it. And so I'm saying, I always say to my kids, what did God create you to do? And so you get all sorts of things like, God made me a fast runner. God made me good at animals or to take care of animals and stuff and so we talk about moses next about how god gave him a job and gave him the tools to do it what tools is god giving you and i teach nature preschool so we're outside so it's like why did god put you in this class what tools did he give you and so we're getting to talk about how we are able to even at three years old start composting and start telling our parents this is how worms work and this is how the trees and the bugs work and getting to incorporate all of that in that young is really cool and get to see them have those answers.
4: This is maybe more of a personal conviction uh, than a, a lesson but I take students out for prayer walks out in the woods behind our school and i encourage them that if they if they find trash it's interesting the trash we find out in, in woods and it's kind of funny sometimes walking back into school with like a old bottle of tequila or something something found you know just like how did that get in the woods i have no idea and then uh, and then it's like alright we're putting this in the trash and we're just transferring this to another place and, and so there is something to be learned about walking by trash or seeing trash randomly in these woods uh, but then just the conviction is <laughs> where are we putting this <laughs> are we actually taking it somewhere better or <laughs> uh, just convicting to think about sometimes So, a, but I
0: think that's a great exercise still but I think often when I see like adopt a highway, right, like how much more impactful could you be adopting your local stream or something mm-hmm. like that, right? We adopt highways because we don't like seeing that trash, but is that the most valuable versus these native ecosystems or, or not always even native, but these mm-hmm. urban environments that maybe there's value in removing those uh, for the creatures that do call it home? Along mm-hmm. so that line, and what do
2: you see as some of the...
0: Yeah, for me, you know, in the Forest Service, more broadly, any large land management, management agency, climate change is going to be the driving issue for us, right? As you think about how every species has developed a home, right, very specifically, um, some broader than others, but with, in the face of climate change, that home is going to change. Whether it's going to be a driver for invasive species or a driver for drought, Um, it's going to create an environment that is less conducive for that species to thrive. Some of them will be fast enough to move, um, but many of them won't. Um, So for me, talking about that issue, whether you want to get into if it's human caused or a natural cause, I certainly have my opinion on that, but I don't think you need to have a strong opinion on that, to know that it is happening and it will have its effects. Um, And we can do small parts, whether it's drive a little less, ride the bus, ride a bike, uh, turn the heat down a little. I, I'm a part of, or used to be, more involved with Asabo Institute in northern Michigan, which teaches undergraduates uh, in the environmental sciences. And I remember I was up there in the middle of winter, and they had the tape over their thermostat, so it couldn't go any higher. And they had some comment there about like the impacts of your comfort comes at the expense of something else. And I think just reminding people I know in my own life, people think I'm just ridiculously thrifty because whether it's like me bundled up at my desk at home, right, because I won't turn the heat on, or like I'm sitting there sweating because I won't turn the air on, um, or I don't want to go out for that drive because of the impacts. And people are like, "No, Grady just doesn't want to spend the dollar on turning that heat on, right?" But it's much more than that. And I think emphasizing what your motivator is, what your driver is for these things, uh, can go a long ways. So, that's the top one for me, but I have a bunch of other ones, too. <laughs> What's another one? I think uh, invasive species that we talked about earlier impacts every ecosystem, whether it's, a, a, right, like emerald ash borer, we see all the ashes dying, Dutch Elm's disease, uh, chestnut blight, right, all of these have come from elsewhere, are just a, a disease, an insect, a plant, out of place, moved into our ecosystems, and likewise moved back over there. Um, and having major impacts. We often talk about as ecologists that one of the burdens you live with is that you look at a green environment that the vast majority of people would go, look at that beauty, it's green. Um, And we look at and go, look at that degradation. That is not what it was meant to be Um, and could be so much better again. So I think if we could teach our students to look with a little bit of that eye, they don't need to know every plant to know that's not right. We can do better. Any other science ones or Bible ones, right? <laughs> Switch to science there. So and I was just going to shout out BioLogos here um, for Bible teachers or science teachers that are inter- interested in integrating these concepts because they are working on a curriculum called Integrate mm-hmm. um, for Bible teachers because I know, and science teachers, and science teachers. you're all busy. Um, so, the idea of developing a whole new, i say, section? I don't know what you call them. Platform?
5: Unit.
0: Unit? Thank you. Uh, might just be a little more than you want to take on. But there's people doing that for you um, that are, are willing to come alongside you and help get you to that point where you can integrate Creation Care uh, into your classroom. And they happen to be at this conference, so. Uh, We're upstairs
10: in that corner. Come say hi.
0: Check it out. It's time to be more So thanks for teaching. Thank you. Social studies? Any social studies? Teachers? History teachers? Is that the same thing? Yeah. I think so. Morally.
4: ouch. ouch. You can, uh, on Google Earth, look at like uh, satellite photos since like 1980 or whatever of rainforest, or anything, and uh, it's eye-opening mm-hmm. how things have changed just in the last 40 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This came up in a different session, but um, historically looking. Um, at not overburdening our students with every problem they're going to face, but maybe presenting some positive examples of uh, change that humans have accomplished in stewardship um, that's working better. So like wastewater treatment or healing of the ozone layer or something like that, where they can say it's possible for us to do global stewardship that has effects.
0: Yeah, one picture I wanted to show, but it it actually wasn't very awe-inspiring, is the Colorado River. If you're familiar with water rights on the Colorado River, right, it's based on when you staked that claim. And now, rarely does the Colorado River that carved the Grand Canyon does it make it to the ocean. I think there's a problem, right? You don't need to know. You don't need to be a hydrologist to recognize a river is supposed to flow to the ocean. series
7: mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. So I think in the social studies, it's an excellent opportunity to talk about environmental justice. I think I saw a title of another session like teaching while white, <coughs> or learning while white, something like that. I didn't look at what it's about, but I imagine it covers some of those same concepts. How does it impact, our decisions impact I'd say the least of these, minority communities. So often those communities happen to be in the floodplains in cities that are built on rivers, right? So when the river floods, disproportionately, it affects those communities. This is social studies, And an easy opportunity to recognize that there is some privilege there in the communities that we grow up in. Even if, you know, for me, I look at the river and go, it'd be great to be closer to the river, right? But in the face of climate change, Natural disasters, it's not a great place to be. So, and there is a CRCNA Climate Witness Project. Do you know more about that? Uh, it's just another resource for you to look up if you want to jot that down, the Climate Witness Project. Uh, the CRCNA is doing some pretty cool work in that area. Uh, but I hope you're noticing in the course of these really 25 minutes we've been talking together, uh, that each area has a unique perspective uh, and a unique area of expertise with which to address things like creation care. Uh, And it becomes increasingly impactful when you're able to integrate those together uh, because our lives are not in these different spheres like our classrooms are. Uh, They're all integrated together. Uh, So as you think about how to do this uh, listen and chat with those around you to see what areas of expertise you could actually overlap. So that that uh, the journal writing in the science class is maybe actually in the language arts class, uh, but they're actually looking at the same thing. Uh, and then it doesn't bring the dread of language arts over into the sciences. Uh, you could keep those separate, but <laughs> uh, allowing that integration, I think, really starts to shape students into a way that they're able to live out, rather than just think scientifically, or just think about it it, from a biblical stance, but actually live it uh, collectively as a student body. Uh, And one of the resources you have too, some schools are figuring out how to do this, how to integrate these things as a school-wide. I know Westside Christian is doing it, Janet is here. Uh, Janet, could you just wave? Uh, Janet's done some work institutionally, how you can do this sort of creation care across classes. Uh, not just within the classroom. Uh, And so starting to discover and develop some of those ways allow you to make those changes in a student's life, not just in one area of their thinking. Uh, Any other thoughts on that grade in our last minute? Yeah, I I see we're out of time. So the the last thing for resources I want to point out is, I mentioned them earlier, BioLogos is here. Um, They are a great resource. Even if you're thinking about it, it's not like you're, you're signing the dotted line. Just go talk to them. About opportunities that might exist. I know they talk about Bible and science, but but they're experts. This is what they do: integrate uh, creation care into the classroom. So talk to them, uh, see what that might look like in your own classroom. So I think that's it for us. Thanks for all coming out. We appreciate it. Thank you